All right, can you hear me now? I know you can. Can you hear me now? Okay. So going back to where I started, the series we've been looking at is to beforehand make a resolution to obey and trust God and not bow the knee to others. And we've taken a look at different people who, in different circumstances, were required to do that in keeping faith. There were times when they were told that they had to bow the knee to worship an idol, or that they only could pray to the king and not to God. And various different ones doing different things in different situations. In each of these, if they did not comply, if they did not bow the knee, that their life would be over. We're going to take a look at another person in the book of Esther. Someone who had various struggles in her life that had never really fully developed in the story. She was an orphan. Her parents had died. She was protected and raised, if you will, by her cousin Mordecai. But the story doesn't start with Esther. The story starts with another queen named Vashti. And Vashti had a overemphasized belief in who she was. And so the king, her king as well as being queen, was at a get-together with his advisors and, and his kingdom, and he summoned her, and she didn't go. And as one to those who are in authority, they don't want to lose respect from those who they are governed because if you lose respect, then you might lose power. So he was advised to get rid of her. So he did the King Henry VIII thing, except he didn't behead her. He divorced her. And he became lonely, as men have a tendency to do. So it was determined that what they should do, because he had a vast domain that went from India to Ethiopia, that they would do, if you will, a Miss United Kingdom search for the next queen. And Esther, which wasn't her name, was told that she should, in essence, because of her beauty, both outward and inward, should participate. And she participated, and of all the women from all the various provinces, like this universe, if you will, came, and the king fell in love with Esther, not knowing that she was a Jew. And he married her and made her queen. And that was the context of where we are now. And so going on, it says, in those days, while Mordecai, which was Esther's cousin, was sitting at the king's gate, and Bigham and um, Tirish, two of the king's officials from those who guarded the door, became angry and sought to lay hands on the king 
Asherah. But the plot became known to Mordecai, and he told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name. So we have a situation where Mordecai, a Jew, finds out that there's a plot to assassinate the king. Being a person who doesn't have access to the king, communicates to Esther, his cousin, to let her know that the king is in danger, and Esther informs the king. Now, when the plot was investigated and found to be so, they were both hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the king's presence. And so they made a historical note of that, if you will. They wrote it in their Chronicles of the King, in their history, that these two men had plotted against the king and that that assassination plot was thwarted. So there's a period of time that passes, and it says, and while after these events, King Asherus um, summoned Haman, the son of Amadatha, the Egad, and advanced him and established his authority over the princes who were with him. All the king's servants who were at the king's gates bowed down and paid homage to Hanan, Haman, or so the king had commanded concerning him. But Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage. You see, Haman, being the egomaniac, if you will, that he is, he expected everybody to pay him homage and bow down as if he were very, very significant. But Mordecai, being a Jew, said, I bow down to no one except God. So I'm not participating in your egocentricity. You can do whatever you want. I'm not participating. Then the king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why are you so transgressing the king's command? Okay. The king told us we're supposed to pay him in this worship. We're supposed to bow down. We're supposed to pay homage to him. And so they asked him. Now it was when they had spoken daily to him and he would not listen to them. You see, he didn't take the opportunity just once. Constantly they were saying, you need to bow down. You need to pay homage. And he said, no, no, no. They told Haman to see whether Mordecai's reason would stand, for he had told them that he was a Jew. He goes, I have a reason. My faith prevents me from paying you homage in that way. For instance, as lawyers, when we go to court, we tell the judge, your honor. We pay him honor of the position, but I don't worship him. I just pay him the honor due to the position. But in essence, they were saying, no, no, you are to 
almost worship this person as if he was the king. And when Haman saw that Mordecai neither bowed down nor paid homage to him, Haman was filled with rage. It's interesting. You can get a million people to love you. But if there's one person who doesn't, you want to know why that person doesn't. And it's the same situation. Everybody else is paying homage and bowing down to Haman. Hey, dude, in a, in a democracy, you win. Everybody's participating, except Mordecai says, my faith doesn't allow me to do this. I'm a Jew. That's not good enough for Haman. But he disdained to lay hands upon Mordecai alone. For they had told him who the people Mordecai were. Therefore, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, who were, who were throughout the whole kingdom of Asherosim. So, in essence, Haman says, I can't just get rid of Mordecai. I got to get rid of all the Jews. There are times when we may be assaulted because somebody else in our group, Christians, did something that the opposition opposes and therefore declares all of us enemies. And then there are times when, because of the group, we are then persecuted individually. And that's where we're seeing, in essence, things. Because he couldn't just take out Mordecai. He was going to take out all of the people of God. So what happens is Haman comes up with a plan. And that plan is to have the king order an edict that can't be changed to kill all the Jews. Kind of sounds like what happened in the 20th century. And this order was done, and there were going to be a specific date when this was going to take place. And they sent out notification to all the provinces, if you got any Jews there, you're going to kill them. No exception. And Mordecai becomes aware of this. So he communicates this plot to Esther. And again, no one knows that Esther is a Jew because they changed their name. And Haman said, and, and Mordecai communicates the plot. Then Esther spoke to Hadath and ordered him to reply to Mordecai. And all the king's uh, servants. I've got it. It's too small for me to do. And all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king to the inner court 
who is not summoned, he has but one law that he be put to death unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been so summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. And they related Esther's words to Mordecai. So what we have here is a situation where there's this plot told, but Esther knows that if she goes to the king and he hasn't asked her to come, then she could be killed. And she goes, it's been 30 days since he's asked me to come. So I'm going to die if I go. And she lets Mordecai know that. And Mordecai says this. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not imagine that you in the king's palace can escape any more than all the Jews. He goes, once the decree is starting to be, take a place and they start killing Jews, you are not going to be exempt. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place, and you and your father's house will perish. He goes, you may die if you go to the king, but if you don't go to the king, you're going to die. There's that catch 22. But the situation is this. Notice Mordecai's faith. There's deliverance that's going to come. It may not come from your help, but it's going to come. God is going to deliver God's people. But if you don't participate, you're not going to be saved. Then he says something that is unanimously quoted. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. He's saying, maybe the reason the king, maybe the reason God gave you that beauty, and maybe the reason the king fell in love with you, is that he, God, placed you in this situation at this time to deliver his people. Now, before I had ever read this, as a very young man, and that was when I was very, because I'm still young, but when I was a very young man, I thought that my life would be unique. And I'll tell you why. One, because I'm that egocentric. And two, my father was born in 1886. A long time before. My brother was born 15 years before me. So I always thought that God had called me at this particular time. So not ever knowing about this story, I believe that I was born for such a time as this. That it wasn't because otherwise I should have been born 13 years earlier. 14, 15 because that's the normal family. But my normal family is I had a father who was 65 when I was born. So I had this belief that, that I was going to be a unique person. 
Well, up until this point, there's nothing obvious that I've done uniquely. Now, there'd be something I don't know about. Maybe my uniqueness is that my genetics pass on to my children and grandchildren, and they'll do something tremendous. And so I'd simply be in that line. Or maybe God has accomplished something that I don't know about in my ministry, and I might find out about it, whatever. But I want you to know something. I wasn't wrong, but you are uniquely here too. For the Word of God says, before he ever spoke the universe into existence, he knew of you. And the Word of God also says that when you were in your mother's womb, he knitted you together. So God appointed this particular time now for you to live. We all too often, because we want to read the books about we have a purpose-driven life and that we're going to be unique and powerful and rich and famous and an influencer. And unless we accomplish all of these things, we're not successful. We're not living our best life. Maybe, just maybe, you are born for such a time as this, not to tell people how great you are, but to tell people how great God is, that he sent his son to die for us, that we might be saved and live in his presence forever. Maybe we, like Esther, ought to decide that even though the culture doesn't want to hear about the Lord, that we are going to do it because maybe we have been placed at this time and this location for such a time as this to declare the glory of God. Because even if I had accomplished all of the wonderful things I thought maybe God had let me accomplish, it would pale in significance to who God is and his love and his mercy and his power and his dominion, and his kingdom. Some of you may know who Julius Caesar was. I dare say he probably doesn't affect your life at all. Matter of fact, um, I tried when I was in Italy to, to get to the river called the Rubicon. And there's a number of people when I mentioned they go, What's that? That's a famous story and you know, whatever. But this famous river that Julius Caesar crossed, they changed the name. Well, I couldn't find it. So you think that you may have some great influence and power that is only going to last a very, 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 very short time. But his church and his kingdom will last in eternity. So, in my megalomania of thinking that God had put me at this place at this time, was actually correct. But not for the purposes I thought, but for his purposes. And maybe not for the purposes you think. And maybe you think that you're insignificant, but you're not. Because God has placed you here at this time, in this location, 
to be a witness for him. Who knows? If you had not attained royalty, and we are children of God, children of the King, for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days and nights. And I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go to the king, which is not according to law. And if I perish, I perish. He goes, okay, I'll go and I'll participate. And if I die, I die. Just as the three Hebrew children said, we're not bowing down. Our God is able to deliver, but if he doesn't, we're not participating. Daniel, I'm going to pray. I don't care what the law is. I'm going to pray. And Esther says, the law is I'm not to go to him. If I perish, I perish, I will go. But she requests prayer. She understands that again, as I shared last time, she's seeking divine intervention and divine inspiration. Pray, fast, make it serious. She goes, not only do I expect you to do it, I and those around me will also do it. Notice she believes not in the power of prayer, but the necessity of it. So they pray. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had uh, commanded him. So he says, we'll pray. We'll do it. We'll wait for three days. Then Queen Esther replied, If I found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given to me as petition and in my request. So what, what's happening here is when Esther goes after the three days, she goes to the king who hadn't summoned her, and she goes, I want to throw you a banquet. And the king goes, Well, what is it that you want? And he goes, no, I want to throw you a banquet. You're invited to come. And so she prepares a banquet. And this banquet doesn't just last an evening. It's a several-day event. She doesn't make a request immediately known. She provides homage, if you will, to the king. She provides for his name. She goes, I'm going to make this about you. Here's a banquet for you. And after a number of days, when, after a number of days of the banquet, the king keeps saying, well, Esther, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? Well, during this time of the banquet, the king can't sleep. So he goes to his 
archives and sees in the, in the history that Mordecai saved his life. And he noticed that Mordecai was never rewarded for saving his life. So he determines that Mordecai should be honored. So he asked Haman, what should be done for the man that the king wants to honor? And Haman thinks it's about him. Because don't we all? We always think it's about us. So Haman gives him this advice, what he should do, thinking the honor and glory is going to come to Haman. And the king goes, that's a great idea. You participate and you do it for Mordecai, who is Haman's enemy that he's seeking to murder. And then Haman discovers there's a problem that not only is Mordecai a Jew, but Esther's a Jew, and he's in big trouble. So this is says, then the king, Queen Esther replied after the king numerously asked, what is it that you want? Because if I had found favor in your sight, O king, and if it pleases the king, let my life be given me as my petition and my people as my request. If, if, for we have been sold and I and my people to be destroyed, to be killed and to be annihilated. Now, if it had only been sold as slaves, then the men and women, I would have remained silent for the trouble would not be commensurate with the annoyance to the king. Now, this is, this is an amazing statement. She's saying, you know, if me and my people as Jews were only going to be sold as slaves, I wouldn't have said a word. I'd have kept quiet. I wouldn't have come to you. Now, that's so un-American. This is not fair. Why are you treating us this way? Why would we be sold in slavery? And Esther goes, my people aren't even worthy to bother. It's only about making us. Because we're not at home anyway. We're here in this kingdom. We're not in our homeland. So whether we're exiled here or enslaved somewhere else, not that big a deal. But the problem is the order has been put out to annihilate us. Now I have to make a request for my life and the life of my people. Then King Asheros asks Queen Esther, who is he and where is he who would presume to do this? And Esther said, a foe and an enemy, this wicked Haman. Then Haman became terrified before the king and queen. And so Haman then tries to beg Queen Esther for forgiveness. And he falls on her couch. In that, and when the king comes in, he sees her where he sees Haman where he's not supposed to be. And he orders Haman to be executed. So the person who sought the destruction of the Jews himself was home. 
But we still have the problem of the edict, which can't be rescinded under their law. So what happens is now in the 12th month, that is uh, the month of Adar, on the 13th day, the king command and edict went. I'm having a little trouble reading that. So um, king's command and an edict were about to be executed on the day when the enemies of the Jews hoped to gain the mastery over them and turn to the contrary to the Jews themselves gained the mastery over those who hated them. And the Jews assembled throughout the provinces of King Asura to lay hands on those who sought their harm and no one could stand before them for the dread of them had fallen on all the people. And even all the princes of the provinces, the satraps, the governors, and those who were doing the king's business assisted the Jews because the dread of Mordecai had fallen on them. So God changes the table. And so those who were an enemy, the Jews, now become a dread to people and they're afraid of them. And they decide to join the Jews in keeping them safe. And the Jews are allowed to protect themselves. So not only had Esther come and intervened on the God himself intervened by giving the Jews the ability to defend themselves and to make it more easily done because the, their enemies were fearful of them. Indeed, Mordecai was great in the king's house and his fame spread throughout all the provinces for the man Mordecai became greater and greater. Thus the Jews struck all of their enemies with the sword, killing and destroying, and they did what they pleased to those who had hated. There's a balancing act for we, for we Christians. We are told to love our enemies and to pray for them. But there is a sense of when we are unjustly treated, we want to adopt the psalms and prayers of David who say, God, destroy our enemies, grind their bones, and let me see it and participate. But you see, when we have enemies. That's one thing. When God has enemies, that's an entirely different thing. When God fights his enemies on his turn. And you'll see throughout the scriptures the mighty armies fall into dread and terror a small group of Jews because God is victorious and the battle belongs to him 
and he will fight for us. And there are times when he may say, I'm going to let you be the instrument of my, of your deliverance, which he was here. Or he may say, I want you to stand here on the side and watch me do my work. But just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, our God is able to deliver. And he was here, and he was in their situation. And there may come a time in our lives where he may deliver. Or, as they had said, but even if he does not, we will not bow the knee and worship. And even if he did not deliver here, Mordecai was right in not paying homage to an evil man. To not bow down as everybody else has. Because his faith taught him different. And our faith teaches us different. And the world may hate us. Okay. Because let's face it. The world likes you and doesn't like you. The world will make somebody a hero. Oh, isn't this one person wonderful? You can say a sports star or a politician or a business person, whatever. And, and all of a sudden, this person is wonderful. Until that person does something they don't like. And then that person is terrible. We ought to cancel him and, and whatever. Mordecai's name was written in the Chronicles of the King. I'm much more concerned that my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Because that place I am secure. And in that place, they may not be recognized today like Mordecai wasn't. But there will come a time at the Bema Seat of Christ where I'm hoping Hoping to hear. Well done, you good and perfect slave. Enter into my rest. It's his praise lasts an eternity, not just a moment. So, yes, we may even sacrifice our lives, our businesses, our health, our fame, our fortune. It's tempting. What God does for us is eternal. And so just as Esther, if I perish, I perish. But I'll go. And all God's people say.